Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me today is someone who I've honestly wanted to have on for a while now because he's he's doing work that I think is pretty interesting and thought provoking, and it's about uh, it's on a topic that I personally don't know very much, which is uh, goalie performance. But for our purposes here, he's most importantly a very disgruntled Rangers fan, and that's Nick Mercadante. Nick, what's going on, man? Not much. Thanks for that uh, that that heartfelt intro there with. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. so, so we're recording this just for the sake of transparency minutes after the Rangers just bowed out of the playoffs in a, uh, I wouldn't call it a very ceremonious way. Um, what, how are you feeling right now? I know the, the wounds are still pretty fresh, so I'll just get right into it. You know what? I kind of came to grips with it after, uh, after game, well, game really, honestly, I came to grips with it before game one. Mm. Uh, that's the truth. <laughs> I, but you know, uh, after last game, I, I this was kind of just the the, the funeral mm-hmm. recession. This I, I knew this was coming. It, it's it's so um, it was so apparent before the postseason that all the problems of the Rangers, uh, you know, in front of Hank, were coming to a head right as the playoff was starting. So it, it was one of those things where I'm going in, going, okay, this isn't going to go well. Yeah. Well, okay, let's try and kind of sort through the rubble here and pick up some of these pieces of, the, of this mess they left behind because I think it's it's tough, right? Because it's easy to look back and be like, okay, uh, they haven't picked in the first round in three years. They don't have a first or second round pick this summer. And they've got, I think, the oldest group of players in the league based on their, on their um, main roster. And the thing is, is that's sort of the price of doing business, right? Like no one was really complaining and they were more willing to sweep it under the rug when they made the conference finals in three of the past four years and they made the finals in one of those years and you have Henrik Lundqvist in your, at your peak. But now that it kind of hasn't worked out and they're looking very, very uh, poorly equipped to deal with a team like the Penguins, all of a sudden you start raising those questions of whether this was kind of something, the writing was on the wall here. Yeah, I, I honestly I think that that um, the Cup Finals run uh, a couple years back kind of doomed their future mm-hmm. in the short term. They got they got high off it, really. Right. They did. Um, I, I thought that that team 
you know, a lot of components of that team came together at the right time. I, I think St. Louis, you know, say what you want about him towards the end of his career, but he injected something into right. that roster, um, you know, w- chemistry-wise or whatever you want to call it. And they and they did play well um, at times in front of Hank that season. Um, but really, you know, they rode Hank all the way to the finals, and, and it was hard fought. And, and then they said, okay, we're that close. All we have to do is, is maybe n- make another, uh, you know, free agent acquisition here and, you know, mortgage our future a little bit there, and, and we should be able to get over the hump. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, they weren't looking at everything underlying, which shows pretty clearly how um, how much they relied on Hank. So, you know, last year uh, I thought it was smoke and mirrors. Um, they were running on, on the high PDO, yep. and and then this year, um, you know, things started to fall back down to earth, especially offensively. They couldn't get out of their own zone, and and then meanwhile, you're looking at a team that's the oldest team, like you said. And, you know, they have no farm system to speak of because they've traded most of it away to um, to stock up for this this window that they had. Right. Um, it's just, you know, and now it's starting to look bleak. It, it really is. Um, and, and it's tough, too, because you look at you look at them every season. You say, well, with Lundquist every year, they have a chance. They could be a playoff team. And, and that's a blessing and a curse. You know, it's great as a fan to root for a team that's going to go into the playoffs. But it's also tough to look at it and go, they don't really have, they're not really that type of team. Right. Um, you know, so. Well, I'm looking at it right now, and definitely the year they made the cup finals was 2013, 2014. They, they were like a 52% possession team for the year, but they were all the way up near 55 in the final 25 games of the year. Yeah. And it makes sense that they kind of peaked at the right time, as you said. And, and then last year, slowly started declining, but you know, Lundquist was still so good that he could cover everything up, and then this year, I think anyone that was really paying attention noticed that this was a shell of the team they've been in in years past, and there was a lot of flaws there that were being masked by a really good shooting percentage, which was a bit lucky, but also probably speaks to the sort of counterattack style they play off the rush and certain players they have, but also just Lundquist being the best goalie in the league now that Carey Price was out pretty much the entirety of the year, and their 5-on-5 save percentage was through the roof and it was masking a lot of those problems and I think that's where people can kind of miss the forest for the trees here right where it's like Lundqvist didn't play well in this series but pretty much the only reason they were in the position they were in to begin with was because he was just dragging everyone else along with him for the ride Mm -hmm. yeah yeah totally and and uh, you know (laughs) It's crazy, too, that um, I I think over the past three seasons, we've kind of seen that Elaine Vigneault has trouble adapting to the roster that's put in front of him. Or maybe he's just having issues with with who he chooses to deploy, Mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Um, But, you know, he's wanted to play that... um, that kind of running gun style where you're making a lot of long hundred foot passes from the D to streaking wingers that are high for those, um, those quick two on one strikes that that's, you know, I think that their high save percentage in the past is a a reflection of that. Mm -hmm. Um, the problem is that the Rangers haven't had that personnel on the back end, um, for at least two seasons now, maybe longer. Since, since Strawman left, really. Really, yeah. yeah, really. And and um, you know, and then they buried Yandel this year mm-hmm. uh, for most of the year. When when I think he was probably the the 
guy best equipped to do it. You know, McDonough's a good defenseman, but he's not that type of defenseman. Right. He, he's a guy who likes to carry the puck up. He doesn't want to make that long home run pass. Hmm. Um, and then forget it. With Stahl and Girardi, they're just ringing around the board. So um, you started to see teams adapting to what they were doing and cutting it off. Um, I especially noticed that last year when they played Tampa, Tampa just bottled up the neutral zone and said, okay, if you're going to throw it around, we're going to just keep pushing you back in and hemming you into your zone. Right. And you saw that again in this series with, with the Penguins. Um, there was all these turnovers right on on the Rangers' blue line. And, and you know, I, I just – A.V. just hasn't adapted to it for whatever reason. Yeah, you, you really did see it in this series, especially even if they could get out of their own zone. The Penguins were super content to kind of just messy – play a messy game in the neutral zone where they would just recover every single loose puck it seemed like and just bring it right back the other way and and they had no answer for that and I, I guess that's a good pivot point because I'm a bit torn on Elaine Vigneault right like I think that he is still one of the better coaches in the league just because you look around at the other 29 coaches and like uh, you'd be hard pressed to find 15 guys that are better than him right like he's still above yeah. average I think he's generally willing to listen and think critically and progressively and there's some be said for that but uh, i don't know it's like when people were so down on him by the time he left here in vancouver and then as soon as he leaves all of a sudden everything falls apart and you you realize that the grass isn't greener and and always and that if you don't have a good contingency plan that's actually better than alain Vigneault, uh maybe you shouldn't be making a move to get rid of him just for the sake of kind of making fresh change yeah yeah it's um yeah it's tough you know I've spent so much time watching the Rangers over the past few years, so it's easy to kind of uh, get tunnel vision on all the mistakes that that Vigneault or all the flaws in in his coaching style. But the reality is, and you know, I, I'm just from my own personal experience as a hockey coach. I think every coach has flaws, and it's how well it's how well you manage those flaws. If you recognize them yourself, and you surround yourself with people that can, um, you, you know, help. Uh, check and balance you. Right. And, and I think maybe that that's a little bit what's going on with the Rangers. Um, I, I also do think it goes back to the adaptability thing. You know, I think that when he was in Vancouver, he had the roster he wanted and he had a novel approach um, to offense, especially quick strike offense on, on quick breakouts where the D is, is moving it up to streaking forwards that are uh, moving out of the zone quickly. I, I, I think, I thought that that you know stretch the ice style fit perfectly for Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as much so for the Rangers, but they were doing it at first. They had the forwards to do it, and they had some of the D with Strawman and you know a younger McDonough. But right. I, I just I think that he failed to adapt. So I think that that was one thing. And you know maybe he needed to either look at what he was doing and, and augment it a little bit or whatever it is. And then I think the other thing is. Every coach I know has biases towards certain players. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Avs is Tanner Glass, oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and, yep. and it's and it's apparently Dan Girardi, yep. and it's apparently Mark Stahl. Yeah. You know, and, and he likes his guys, and I think his guys play for him, and that's a, a, a you know an admirable trait for a coach to have that he sticks with his guys, and he and he is. You know, he he gets everybody to stick with the process and believe in that. Um, and you can see it with the way they play. They do play his style. Um, but I think that those biases towards certain players have gotten in the way of maybe putting your best team on the ice. And you saw it with, you know, scratching Kevin Hayes down the stretch. is just absolutely bonkers to me. It's just... 
Yeah, no, and and he was doing it a lot with with JT Miller earlier in the year, even though there were long stretches where he was arguably their best mm-hmm. forward. And yeah, you're right. He he definitely has his guys he loves, and there is, as you mentioned, an admirable quality to that, just because. There is a human relations part part to it where you need to maneuver around that carefully and not you know ruffle too many feathers and upset the wrong guys. But it, when it comes to the expense of some of your younger, better players who could really provide the the speed and the energy that this team was sorely lacking this season, it's a problem. And and you're right about Hayes. I think you and I are probably the the two biggest fans of his that exist right now, other than maybe his parents, I guess, and his and his brother. But it's it's <laughs> it's, it's, it's it's so curious to me right and and i see it a lot with even certain segments of rangers fans online i know there's others that are very much big kevin hayes fans but then there's people that just can't seem to get over these ideas that he has shortcomings in his game that are fatal flaws where yeah, that he this that, like he doesn't work hard yes. all these yeah. things i i don't you know i watch him every game and i see the same player every game i don't see huge you know, blips of games where he's just like out to lunch. Yeah. Uh, to me, he seems like an almost an energy guy at times. Well, so I, I think that I think that it's just the perception thing where a, a taller, more lanky guy just probably looks like he isn't trying as hard as a guy that's five yeah. foot eight and is just like you know getting into all these uh, positions where he's leveraging defenders just because he has to because he's so much shorter than them. Right? It looks like Hayes isn't necessarily giving it a hundred and ten percent every time, but that's just because of his physique more so than anything else. I think. Do you remember? Uh, do you remember uh, the website Fire Joe Morgan as yep. a baseball website? All yep. right, so they always were on uh, with uh, David Eckstein, right? So the same principle goes for for hockey, I think. So David Eckstein's like the plucky shortstop, you know. Right. He's short and he's small and he's got no skill. When he goes out there and he, you know, uh, he, it's all about like effort and hustle and all this stuff. But really, he he kind of stunk. Right. <laughs> he wasn't that good. Well, so that same premise goes to hockey. I, I think it's even more uh, magnified because, you know, hockey has board battles and things like that. Um, you're right. You know, Hayes, Hayes is graceful at times, and then other times he's powerful. Mm-hmm. And But all the time he's kind of got this, like, lanky stride. The way he moves is different than some other players um, that might be smaller and scrappier. But he's down in the corners. He's doing those board battles. So that's why I always think it's hilarious when people say, well, he's he's out to lunch, he doesn't try, and he's in the doghouse with AV because of that. You know, I don't know what's going on in the locker room. Maybe there's something there. But when I watch him play, I'm like, he's the guy I want out there for – if you're looking for an injection of, of some kind of, you know, hustle element or whatever you want to call it. Um, but you know, it, it is what it is. Well, I think, I think the circumstances here might save the Rangers this summer because you look at him and he's a RFA, so he needs a new contract and he's probably going to be fairly cheap, whether they give him a bridge contract or whatnot, just because his box car stats were kept down based on the way he was deployed. Yeah. But I think a smart team here, if there is even a single non-zero chance that you could get him for anything, I, I would be calling the Rangers every single day this summer because you look at it, you look at all, all of his underlying numbers and it just makes so much sense that putting this guy in the right situation to succeed is going to pay, pay dividends for you, right? Like he is through the roof in terms of primary points. He doesn't get any power play time. He plays with guys that are nowhere near his skill level. And it just seems like if you give him the minutes and the opportunities and actually give him wingers that have enough skill to convert some of the chances he makes, because I'm of the belief that he thinks the game so much faster than some of these other guys that he plays with that like he gives them these 
these passes that they can't even they don't even know what to do with them or even when they can't when they get them they just can't do anything with it because he's just like thinking one step ahead and doing stuff that is just way above their pay grade he's he's i'm telling you he, that's he's baby joe thornton yeah. that's what he is he he's um and he does. He catches a lot of his linemates by surprise. That's why I was so amazed in his rookie season because he had a, a rotating cast of linemates. And it wasn't always guys. It wasn't top six guys. It was usually, you know, bottom six guys. And uh, he made them look – sometimes he made them look great. Sometimes he made them look foolish because they'd miss his passes. Um, and, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, look, the, somebody sent out on Twitter, uh, they, they put out uh, – I forget what it is. It's like uh, if you go to the Rangers general manager page, mm-hmm. it's just a, a YouTube video of albatrosses. Right. Um, I don't know if it, albatrosses, albatry. Uh, albatry, anyway. yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, but I, I thought that was hilarious because the, the the Rangers are up against it, and then they've got these RFAs. I, I you know, after twenty plus goal season for JT Miller, you know he's going to stay and mm-hmm. he's going to get a pay raise. Right. Kreider. Um, AV loves Kreider, so he's going to stay. He's going to get a pay raise. He, he definitely had his best season. Uh, and then you've got Hayes, who was kept down a little bit. Um, the boxcars aren't there for him, but the, the potential is enormous. So you're right. A smart team is going to try to leverage that. And, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know how the Rangers view him internally. I don't know how Gordon uh, views it. But, you know, a smart team is going to maybe – give an offer of like a you know a, a decent draft pick or something like that to to try to snake him away uh as an rfa rfa just based on the fact that they they can't pay him a lot yeah and he's probably third of the three in the in the pecking order uh, of those rfas so yeah well the, yeah, the problem with the rangers you, you mentioned the general manager page and it's they just they have a lot of holes, but they don't have a lot of assets to to plug those holes. No. And, and it, the one saving grace, I'd say, is that we see every summer. I mean, uh, the Devils were a great example this past summer, where they get guys like John Moore and and David Schlemko for super cheap on just in the bargain bin, and and guys like that are around every summer where you really can find like a third pairing defenseman that can help move the puck, and uh-huh. and that would be something the Rangers need so desperately. So it's not the end of the world, but the problem is that yeah. Andel's probably out the door, and and he was by far their best defenseman yeah. in moving the puck. And it, this team's going to be so devoid of guys that can get Chris Kreider and Rick Nash uh, the puck with speed in the neutral zone. And I think that's going to be a massive problem for them next year. Yeah, it is. At some point, they got to look at rebuilding the farm a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they can't. I don't know how much further they can leverage this. Uh, you know, Hank's what? He's 34 going 35, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, we're, we're hitting that point now where I don't, I mean, he had an amazing year this year. Again, every year you think he's going to decline. He, he doesn't. So, but at some point, father time, undefeated world champ, um, it's, it's got to end. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, they're going to have a tough time just trying to even restock anything. I think that they have to to start leveraging what they have and and looking ahead and saying, okay, we got to bite the bullet here and get a draft pick for you know for a guy who's in the NHL now yeah. to try to plan ahead because um, it just is they have no maneuvering room with the contracts they have. Yeah, but it's um, so tough because it's really hard to reconcile not 
trying your best to win while Henrik Lundqvist is still at his peak, right? Like you can't, he's only going to be like this for a select number of years. And it'd be such a shame to just see them kind of be middling and losing in the first round while he's still this good. Yeah, I know in, in, in New York as well. Yeah. It, I've been floating out. Uh, they should trade him to Dallas. They, mm. Dallas needs a goalie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's gotten positive feedback. Be, yeah. Well, I think yeah, anyone in the league that doesn't really have a, a stake in it. And I guess if you're a fan of another team, especially on Western Conference team, you're probably uh, not liking the idea of that. But that'd be a, a pretty amazing partnership. Yeah, it, yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right, though. It's really hard to justify not going for it. It's just what else can you do? How much? You know, there's nothing left to mortgage. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, if they if they want to retain assets and try to get somebody on the cheap, um, they're really going to have to dig deep and find it or find a partner who maybe overvalues somebody that they undervalue or whatever it is. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I don't know. That's good, man. The, the, the 2016, 2017 New York Rangers. I don't know. Um, all right, let's move around, move around the league a little bit. And, and I wanted to talk to you about Jonathan Quick because so much time and energy is spent discussing a guy that's ultimately the definition of average, just in every sense of the word, both the regular season and the playoffs. Uh, and you just look at all his numbers. And I guess he has these high peaks and then really low basements where you you can easily kind of get swayed in either direction but when you put it all together as one cumulative package he really is just league average he is that's what he is um i've never quite understood so so i gotta preface it with this so so john quick grew up in connecticut um you know i crossed paths with him when i was coaching and doing the coaching camps and stuff like that right um he's always you know he's always been an extraordinary athlete when he was a young kid everybody you know raved about him because of his athleticism and the things that he could do that other kids couldn't do and then he went to prep school same thing he went to college same thing um he's always also had fundamental flaws in his game um that hold him back from greatness and a lot of it is kind of predicated on that athleticism he gets away with maybe being over aggressive overshooting his marks not hitting his angle lines and doing things that more fundamentally sound goalies are trained to do because they have to do. Mm-hmm. He, he's gotten by all this time basically not having to do it because of that athletic, uh, athleticism. But, right. you know, I think what's happened at the NHL level is the same thing that's happened at every other level. When people watch him, they see a goalie who is astounding, astoundingly athletic and can do things that other goalies can't do physically. Um, so they lose sight of the fact that his underlying numbers are pretty much astoundingly average (laughs) year after year after year. Um, So while he looks like he's doing things that are extraordinary that other goalies can't do, maybe he's just covering up uh, for other deficiencies he has and, and people just don't seem to notice. Um, Well, I think it's just, I can, I definitely see it's kind of tough to, uh, acknowledge the fact that you watch him and there's certain times where you're like holy shit this guy's amazing he can do things that no one else can do and then just be like oh but actually he also does all these other things poorly that wind up kind of evening out yeah yeah it's um you know it's it's obviously the 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 big thing is that the the winner tag right he he won the cup so 
um, that goes with him. And, and he has, he, he has that ability to have these incredible performances. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, again, I think people just lose sight of the fact that in between those incredible performances, he also has some really, really bad blow up games and he's not incredibly consistent with his play in that he, you know, he either goes really high or he goes really low. And then his, his career averages and his in season averages end up right in the middle of the league. Um, so, you know, I, I, I wish that, um, you know, I don't know. I, I can't say anything bad about his goaltending coaching or anything like that. Um, Maybe it's maybe it's you know he doesn't want to change certain things that he does, but I wish that he would do some things to to rein in his aggressiveness because that's what's caused a lot of his problems. And I've I've always looked at him and said, boy, if he could rein in certain things, he really would be that elite goalie, almost unbeatable goalie because of his athleticism. But he's just never done it. Right, and I think we should be fair. Like the first cup run they had, he was amazing. Like he. Uh, he warranted all the high praise mm-hmm. he got. I think he started nearly 90 games combined that year between the regular season and the playoffs and stopped like nine, nine, what, like 93 and a half or 94% yeah. of the shots he faced. Like it was absurd. It was one of the greatest seasons we've seen. And the problem is that it's maybe it's just unfair to him because after that, people started lionizing him and what he's capable of. And it just wasn't realistic to expect anyone really to be able to maintain that level moving forward. And as a result, no one's really been able to have a rational reason discussion about him, uh, especially on television, just because it seems like you have to go uh, either super aggressively being like, this guy's one of the best goalies in the league. And then people on the internet go, oh, no, Jonathan Quick actually sucks to try and kind of overcompensate for that. And then once again, of course, we wind up coming back to that average middle ground where we really should be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and he hits all the top 10 highlights, um, with, with certain saves he makes. And a lot of those saves, the reason they look extraordinary is because he was first out of position. So he had to stretch to make the, make that safe. But, you know, you don't see that side of it. Um, uh, the, the analysts on TV don't seem to see that side of it. And, and so that's not how they explain quick. They explain him as an extraordinary goalie. Um, you're right. I mean, what was that first cup season? Uh, uh, 2011, 2012, 2011. Yeah. All right. So just looking at his numbers. So that was by far and away his best season mm-hmm. career, uh, in his career, as far as regular season numbers. Right. But if you actually look at, so if you look at my stats, so five or five versus five adjusted goal saved above average per 60 that season. Right. He was at plus point one six seven, which was good for one two three four five six seven eight eighth amongst goalies w- facing more than six hundred five on five shots. Hmm. So he wasn't he wasn't at the top. He was actually he was he was uh, right around where Hank was um, that that season. Right. Um, which isn't bad. Yeah, I think being in the same sentence as Henrik Lundqvist is good, yeah, regardless of which what the conversation. It, it's not a bad season, yeah. but I think that you know that if that was his high water mark, we're not talking about an elite goalie. We're talking about a goalie who blew it out of the water for him in one season and got noticed, kind of like Devin Dubnik last year. Mm-hmm. Blew it out of the water for him last season, but he wasn't the best goalie in the league. Um, I think just people noticed that he was on a hot stretch for him, right? Um, whereas, you know, a guy like Hank does it 
year in and year out. A guy like Carey Price makes it look routine. Um, so I, I think perception got off that season. He and then he and then he had an amazing cup run. Um, but you know, then by the same token, um, he in the other cup they won, he actually was pretty bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so in people just didn't seem to notice. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's you're so much ink has been spilled with quick. Yeah. Well, I think the most annoying aspect to it, and it's not just with him, it's with many other goalies around this time of the year. It's this idea. And, and you and I were discussing it when we had some adult beverages here in Vancouver after the uh, analytics conference, this idea that uh, there's certain goalies who have this innate ability to make quote unquote timely saves. And, it's just so frustrating, and and you, you, you saw it um, the other night where um, on Saturday night where the Kings are down three nothing, and Patrick Marleau has a penalty shot and quick saves it, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden all these people are going like, "Oh, remember this moment? If if the Kings wind up coming back, that's uh, right. Quick made the timely save to keep his team still in it, and it's like, okay, that's fine, but." I don't understand. You're making it sound like he has this superhuman ability to be like, okay, I have to make a save here, so I'm going to make it, which inherently applies that implies, sorry, that in past shots he was facing, he was going out of his way not to save them because they weren't (laughs) as important, which just, if you put it that way, it just seems like a ridiculous thing to say, but that's really what we're talking about here, right? Where it's like, you're basically saying that he went out of his way to give up goals so that he'd be able to create higher leverage situations later down the road and be more dramatic. And that seems like an incredibly weird thing that no professional athlete would ever do. That's right. I, uh, I heard a great quote. Uh, it was either today. I, I, I forget which day it was, uh, the playoffs, but, uh, somebody on television said something like, uh, you know, uh, don't count Philly out, um, because they're a team that has something to play for <laughs> inferring that because they, that they actually lost games to put themselves in a situation where they would have to fight and claw to stay alive. They're in somehow a better position to win a game than the better team who had been winning games previously, right. which of course is a ridiculous statement that makes no sense whatsoever. The same goes for, for goaltending, you know, every save is t- timely every save is important you there's never a time where it's good to let a goal in or even okay really to let a goal in unless we're talking about you know it's i don't know it's six one and you know plays driving at the net and you're just diving out of the way to not get injured that's a ridiculous scenario no games end that way so um well aside from today when the rangers you know got blown up but (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i mean the point is with a guy like quick, he has that quote unquote wow factor where he does things that stand out and people seem to miss all the other stuff that, that he does where he struggles. Um, in this postseason, he's been quite bad. He's been one of the worst, uh, worst goalies, uh, so far in the playoffs, you know, very small sample size, but let's not discount the fact that everybody going into the playoffs says, well, this is quick's time. This is, he's got ice water in his veins. He, this is when he turns it on. Um, and all those sorts of things, you know, the sharks were a a quality opponent, but where was that? That it, it, it didn't happen. Um, so, uh, you know, I would like to see the, the expert or the, the reality start meeting the, uh, uh, where people actually think he is. 
and I think the the like the thing we should point out here is that I do think there is something to be said for just the human scale of try of like being able to keep it together and you know stay composed and and not completely get fl- flustered and fall apart and the the problem is that there's no real evidence to show that a guy who's otherwise not good all of a sudden becomes great in these high leverage situations, right? Usually the guys that are really good in those important spots are also the guys that are really good in, in every other spot. It's just, they're good at stopping pucks. So they're going to stay good at stopping pucks regardless of the situation. So I think as long as you think about it that way, it all, all of a sudden makes a little bit more sense. I think. Yeah. Play in, in, in playoffs are a different animal because you're playing the same team multiple times in a row. So teams are going to game plan. They're going to watch video and say, okay, this is what we need to do against this offense, against this defense, against this goalie. This is how we can expose uh, each thing. And they really do plan for a particular goalie. You know, for instance, when you play against Chicago, you might be planning for Crawford's to, to expose Crawford's glove hand because mm-hmm. he's, He's been known to have a weak glove, especially like a foot or a foot and a half off the ice. So you could beat him there. Um, so you have an opportunity to you know really hone in on that as an opponent and and pick apart a goalie that way. So there is something you know there is something to be said for that. But at the same time, you know I just just today I ran uh, the numbers from 2008 until now mm-hmm. uh, for the same stat, the Mercad stat, and. Um, Henrik Lundqvist is at .277, and his uh, career mark over that same span of time is .278. He is literally exactly the same in the playoffs over that time as he is in the regular season. Right. Um, which I think that, you know, that's that's exactly what you want. You want a goalie who is consistently good all the time, no matter what. He doesn't elevate his game in the playoffs. He's just doing what he always does, which is being a great goalie. Yeah. Um, I think that you know the some of the goalies that develop this aura of elevating themselves, or that uh, you know have this reputation as of falling apart in the playoffs. Really, it's just small sample size craziness. You know, it's a bad series. It's Flurry getting shelled in the first round, um, or, or uh, you know Holtby having you know one really really out of out of his mind series against the Rangers, that type of thing. Right. Um, well, and think about how small, like in a four to seven game sample, like one or two goals can completely shift both the perception and the actual save percentage itself, right? Like it's right. it's such a small fine line for be looking really good and being considered the hero or just being the goat. So, I think a good transition point for this topic of of uh, consistency and goaltending performance is to the presentation you recently gave at at the analytics conference in Vancouver and where you introduced concepts like win threshold percentage and above average appearance percentage and how they work in concert and it, let's discuss Dallas a little bit because I think everyone just views uh, their goaltending as being the eventual downfall of that team as a fatal flaw and I found it very fascinating that Antti Niemi was I think the best uh, on your list in win, in win threshold percentage this year but also one of the worst in terms of above average percentage yeah yeah so okay so I guess a little bit of an explanation without getting too into it but right. so win threshold Basically, the premise of the stat is this. Uh, I looked at what it takes to win an average NHL game. So if an average NHL game, at five on five, I should mm-hmm. say. Yeah. So if an average NHL game, uh, each uh, a team gives up uh, about 
1.78 goals against uh, at five on five. So in, in an average, an average goalie plays about 48 minutes of time five on five in that game. So what I did was I looked at the performances of goalies who gave up less than 1.78 goals. So one, one goal or, or, or less at five on five while playing within a standard deviation of 48 five on five minutes. So 35 and up basically. And then I determined their Mercad for that. And then I compared that to all appearances. And I said, how many appearances uh, or what percentage of appearances is a goalie meeting that threshold? And it's on a seasonal basis. Um, It just adjusts with the seasonal averages. So you can compare across seasons. Right. Right. And um, so, yeah, this is a kind of an amazing thing. So in this, in this season, Antti Niemi, who does have a little bit of a boomer bust reputation, mm-hmm. is he is a boomer bust goalie. That's exactly what he is. So right. he uh, he hit win threshold forty five percent of the time. So in nearly half of his appearances, he was basically blowing it out of the water. He was doing enough to win an average game. You know, irrelevant of if they won or not. Uh, you know, because he obviously can't score the goals. Right. Um, so 45% of the time, he's performing great, great, right? Mm-hmm. But only 53% of the time over, over all those um, appearances is he an above-average goalie. So that means that 50, so 53% of the time he's above average, 40, 45, so nearly, what is that, 92, whatever it is, 92% of those above-average starts are blowing it out of the water. And right. the rest of the time, he stinks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think maybe we saw that a little bit in practice here recently where in game four, he was really good. I think he stopped like 28 of 30 shots he faced. And then game five, he makes 19 saves on 24 shots yep. and they lose in overtime and he looks terrible. The puck's just going through him. And yeah, that's exactly it. So I, I, don't, I don't, I yeah, I guess it's just one of those things where you take the good with the bad, I guess. But it's funny how um, ultimately, like maybe not as much, in the past few years as he's declined but for a while there in, in San Jose he was just like that as well but he always wound up being sort of a league average guy and I think everyone really just thought of him as that so it's interesting that um, people just acknowledge that he's just an average goalie who has ups and downs whereas some other guys you might be prone to think about them in extreme directions yeah I think that you know the interesting thing is so you know there's there's this ongoing debate especially with people that look at goalies of well, what do you really want in a goalie? Do you want somebody who can win you a game that can blow it out of the water like a, like a Niemi or like a quick sometimes or, or but then they can also lose you a game just as easily. Right. Or do you want a guy who's just, you know, kind of consistent and maybe they're consistent at an average level and you know what you're going to get. You're going to get an NHL average goalie game in or game out, game in and game out. Or, you know, obviously you want really ultimately what you want is a, you know, a Lundquist, a guy like that where he's above average all the time consistently. Um, and it's, it's interesting to look at it because what I've been finding is that more often than not, the guys who are consistently they're they're consistent in their performance above average uh, are also winning more games, right? For whatever reason, um, and they're also generally speaking higher in this win threshold percentage. So you really don't want the boomer bust goalie because while Niemi led the league in this win threshold this season. 
he also lost a lot of games probably. I mean, aside right. from the fact that Dallas can score at will, you know, he probably lost games for him as well. Right. And on a seasonal basis, you just don't know what you're going to get yourself into with him. And yeah. um, while it comes back to league average for his overall stats, he's getting there a different way than, say, uh, a Frederick Anderson, who is um, about a league average goalie, and he's relatively consistent. He's kind of steady. Um, I prefer, you know, I prefer that steady guy. That's, you know, I think that also makes sense, especially the better your team is. It seems like intuitively you'd want a guy that's not really going to cost you that many games just because you're probably going to be controlling play more often than not. And you're going to rely on him less. You won't really need him to steal many games for you. Whereas I feel like if you're, you know, a bad team, uh, you're going to need him to win you some games. So maybe the, with the boom boomer bust potential guy might be more intriguing in that regard. Yeah, I I had um had a conversation a while back with Matt Kane, um who's uh, he's he's great at just like presenting thought provoking things, mm-hmm. um and and he said, well, what about in a playoff series? You know, maybe you do want the boomer bust guy because if he gives you you know three amazing starts, you're you're pretty much on your way to winning the series, right? Whereas maybe the steady average guy, when there's less goals to go around in the playoffs, um, he doesn't have that capability of going boom, right? (laughs) So, so he's not going to win you those games when you actually really need that, that guy to win you those games. So it's, um, I don't know. It's one of those things that, that, you know, I, I presented the stat, uh, in Vancouver, the win threshold stat and the above average appearance stat. Now I just want to start digging into it and seeing if there's anything to that. Yeah. Oh, that'd be interesting to follow. Um, let, where can people find your work? Cause I know that you usually tweet out all these charts and, <laughs> and you're a must follow for that regard. If not just for the, uh, for the Dave Babbage photo. So, so the folks at hockey graphs are going to yell at me, but, uh, so I'm a hockey graphs writer, mm-hmm. but I actually don't have any articles on hockey graphs right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been uh, working at quote unquote behind the scenes with the other uh, writers, but right. the, pl- the plan. So, so you can find me at M Mercad and M E R C A D. If you want to get, you know, I, I'll, I'll tweet out charts and, and, and thoughts about goalies and different little snippets. Uh, but uh, the plan is to, um, during the uh, postseason in the summer, I'm going to post a few articles with more information about this, digging into um, what we're really trying to do here with goalies, which is uh, become more predictive of performance right. and um, become more predictive of what uh, y- what type of goalie truly will help a team uh, reach, you know, get su- be- become successful. Because I think that the big question mark going forward is, well, how do we compensate goalies and what are we actually looking to compensate? Um, and that's some of what we also uh, presented with uh, Carolyn Wilkie. And we also presented on, on that aspect of it is, well, what are we paying for here? Are we paying for a guy like a Niemi or a quick, should we be paying a premium for them or should we be paying a premium for somebody who's um, more steady, um, like, like a Steve Mason yeah. uh, or somebody like that? I know I can't I can't say that after this postseason. <laughs> well, maybe a Fred, Freddie Anderson who sure. will need a new contract this summer, so that'll be there interesting. There you go. Yeah. I, I, it will be interesting to, uh, to see what happens with Freddie because uh, the Ducks have made no bones about the fact that they're going forward with Gibson. Mm-hmm. And... Um, 
boy, some team's going to get lucky with Freddie. So yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, he's he's been playing well for them recently here against the Predators. So maybe they uh, go on a long run with him and Ned, and <laughs> they change their mind. But you're right; it, it does seem like they've they've picked Gibson of the two. Um, Nick, man, thanks for taking the time. That was a lot of fun. I think that. Uh, you're doing a lot of cool work, and I'm not just uh, brown nosing because you came on the podcast. I think the, it's very easy to just throw yeah, out yeah. throw out the whole goalies are voodoo thing and and just you know lazily just attribute it to that. And but I think there is some stuff to really mine here, and and you're doing a good job progressing that conversation. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I uh, I, I love doing this stuff. I, I'd be happy to come on again sometime. Excellent, man. We'll have you on, and we'll talk soon. Okay. All right. Great. Thanks. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO Cast. <laughs>